Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Dynamo story with my friend Santosh Sankar. How's it going, Santosh? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on here. Excited to share the Dynamo story and uh, chat industry, technology, whatever <laughs> you, you so choose. I know. We were blabbing before we hit record. It just occurred to me that we might have just had our best conversation. So <laughs> but hopefully we can recreate some of that. Anyway. Uh, Santosh, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Sure, sure. Uh, I am in the corner of our office here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I am co-founder managing partner here at Dynamo Ventures. So at Dynamo, we focus exclusively on early stage supply chain technology businesses. And specifically when I say early stage, it's really the the most formative stages, the pre-seed and seed stage. And uh, with that, we are global. So despite perhaps the misnomer, you know, we're based in Chattanooga and in the beautiful hills here of East Tennessee, we do invest globally. And for us, it's important that we have that discipline and that approach because as, you know, folks have come to realize over the last few years, supply chain is a global competency. So therefore, as uh, you know, we're looking to support the the next people, the the next set of teams who are looking to redefine, create, you know, their businesses using technology. Ha- have to be open to that. So do that all from uh, 800 Market Street in downtown Chattanooga. Before I forget, years ago I interviewed Craig Fuller, the founder of uh, Freight Waves, and the name of the podcast was was Why Chattanooga is the Silicon Valley of Trucking. And I think a lot of people would say, hey, that's because of the trucking companies then of, of what FreightWaves done. And I think there's a, they deserve a lot of credit. But he also, Craig, gave credit to uh, Dynamo and Ted Alling. So talk a little bit about the formation of Dynamo, if you don't mind. And then I want to get a little, a little bit about the formation of you, a little bit of your background. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll probably co-mingle that here because <laughs> I, I think the stories are super entwined. I but I moved down to Chattanooga in 2015 at, at Ted's beckoning. And Ted's one of my, my partners today, sits just across the way from me. And at that point, right, supply chain was very much kind of a, a backwater. People didn't talk about it, didn't think about the technology. And Ted and his two partners, Barry Large and Alan Davis, had just sold their freight business, Access America. And they had actually... How do you spell Access America? A-C-C-E-S-S, America. And so who did they sell? Did they sell to Coyote? They sold to Coyote. So so, so they actually merged the, the two that businesses big, together. Because big company. It was a, it was a large... It, you basically had the, the top two privately held freight brokerages merging wow. in order to get a larger scale. But it's around that time that both Ted and I were introduced. And I was looking for something more entrepreneurial. And, and my background, you know, up until... I would say I graduated, I just had a tendency to start businesses to solve problems. My first business was an IT support business. And this is when, you know, you had to have your own server in your office. You had to maintain it. You had to worry about uptime. You had to network your office, right? When a new there, employee came There are in, people still doing that. It was a that. big thing. 
there are people who do it, but we really take it for granted. But back then there was no ecosystem or if there was, you'd be going to a very large shop. There's no SMB catered offering. So I did that in my hometown of Maryland, uh, Columbia, Maryland, and uh, did that till I went to college basically wound that down because equally that was less needed as I got through high school. There was a sophistication coming in. But then in college, again, I started another business. I started a content business around the financial markets with my friends. We ended up selling that. It wasn't life-changing, but it certainly gave us a, a very Penn State. All right. And uh, Joe, I know you're a proud Big Ten guy as, as well. So we are for, for all of your listeners. We are but, Penn State. <laughs> have, uh, you know, was very fortunate at at Penn State to be involved in a variety of things. But one of those key efforts was running this business, but it was also actually running a public market fund of, uh, it was by the end of it, a bit over a million dollars of technology stocks. And these were, this is capital pooled similar to my fund today, right? Uh, Wealthy individuals, alumni of the university in that instance, And through the Great Recession, I had to wake up every morning to angry investors ask me why I'm not selling and holding cash. Uh, I had to justify why I'm buying into the market. But at the end of the day, I was up about 52% on an absolute basis. I think that year I beat my benchmark probably four to five percent. So that was a lot of fun. But you know, public market investing is is very different. And I then went off to Wall Street and I became affectionately a spreadsheet monkey, but for a period of time, I kind of meandered, lost my North Star on entrepreneurship. And when I met Ted, you know, had this conversation as he was kind of giving me advice. And that advice ultimately rolled into coming down, spending some time with Ted, and we ended up founding Dynamo. And as an investor, I'd always been drawn to things that are, are not sexy, so to speak, right? And you found your home. Chain, <laughs> found a home. And a lot of how I operate is like, I want to see things and digest things firsthand. So a lot of what I did as we were talking about forming Dynamo is to Craig Fuller's statement, no better place in the world to learn, right? I sat next to the CEOs, COOs, some of the largest trucking operators, warehouse operators, shippers in the world, and was able to walk away with a understanding, a mosaic of information and network as to, okay, like, what do we see the next 10, 15 years turning into? And how does that inform how we think about investing? And the first thing I'll tell you is, we're not sitting here and investing off of a thesis, right? I'm oftentimes the first money that comes into a business. And for us, it's people. It's like anything else in business. What my advantage is, I have domain expertise and I have networks. So I can very quickly validate, is this a thing I want to lean into? And if it is, where do I really need to poke and understand in order to figure out, is this the right approach that's going to ultimately generate, call it 10, 100,000 X on the capital invested in? Yep. That's and ultimately so, uh, what I You do. said something kind of interesting there is you don't, you're not investing with a thesis in mind. So you don't wake up, go to the office and say, we're investing in people who do final mile and warehousing for the final mile. You cuz you're getting people pre-seed. You might have the next great killer app for our business, great killer business for the which by the way, let's face it, 5 years ago if you said I want to do final mile, somebody what the hell is that, right? <laughs> yeah. Anymore they said, "Oh, visibility is going to be a big thing." And you'd be like, "Oh, yeah, okay." <laughs> and all of a sudden those things became um 
normal part of our business. And uh, so with with no thesis, that means, and you said pre-seed and seed. Please explain what you mean by that. Yeah. If you don't mind, for those of us, which is most of us, who are not uh, VCs, talk about the different stage investments. I know there's a, a number of them. Give us just the bullet point for each one, starting with pre-seed. Yeah, no, that's certainly a good point. So uh, all of these terms can mean different things to different people. So I'm glad you asked. At at Dynamo, pre-seed largely means pre-revenue, even pre-product, right? And what we're looking for in that instance is you have the right team, and we have 10 different parameters we look for when we're evaluating a team. And we are doing this on a constant basis till we ultimately have to pass a decision. But some of this includes, you know, complementary skill sets, coachability, right? We call it fast muscle twitch, but just this restless desire to run through walls to solve this problem. Like they have a bug in their head and the, the best founders actually demonstrate this, right? But along with that is a self-awareness. Are they engaging? And engaging is a really interesting thing because the way a CEO must engage is different than a CTO or even a COO. But we go through this breakdown of the team. But taking a step back to answer your question, Pre-seed is pre-revenue, pre-product. Seed is early revenue. But before you leave that, you, you mentioned team. And I think that's an interesting point because I think if we go back 20 years ago, it was there weren't founding teams. There were founders and they had a great idea and they they pushed it along mostly on their own for a long time. And then finally, somebody got the money so they could do that quick scaling that we didn't have quick scaling not so long ago. But now you you said team. Let's talk about the difference between just the the lone founder, which, by the way, I would throw this out there. That seems risky. One lone founder can get hit by a truck and not be there tomorrow. So now you guys are looking at teams. Why is that important besides the truck example? <laughs> it is It is very hard to build a business in general, flat out. doesn't matter how large it is. To say that you're going to go on a journey, because when you take VC, right, when you take money from me, it's not like you just take it and you're done. You're, we're funding it knowing that we're going to consume capital in the name of thoughtful growth. And ultimately, we're going to get to a shape and size that is in the billion, if not multiple billions of dollars. That is really hard. And honestly, that journey can be quite lonely. And we have funded solo founders, right? And the thing that we'll observe is that they don't have somebody to war game with, to provide them emotional support, to kind of be there through the to highs compliment and lows, them, balance right? them out. Compliment. And we oftentimes end up serving some of that, but we're not day-to-day operators, right? We're not nearly as smart and insightful as the people we back. When we say compliment, we mean complimentary skill sets, not you look nice today. <laughs> right. Because uh, 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 honestly, you might need that some days. And other days, you need somebody to tell you, what in the world are you thinking? That is the right. dumbest thing you've said. I can say this. I've always been, I've been in business, in engineering business, my dad's business, and, and I guess this 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 business. Uh, when you're working on ops, you're not working on sales. When you're working on sales, you're not working on ops. And and then when you get to finance, you get to finance. And the challenge is, what are you best at? How do you grow? 
And and you, as you, when you take that venture capital money, there's an expectation that they're going to have a certain growth path. It's not going to be stumbling along. I don't. I want to come back to Santosh and him and say, "Yeah, we grew about five percent last year. Things are rolling." <laughs> He's going to say, "No, no, you took our money. The goal is to grow much faster than that." And and I think the risk, and I, this came up in a podcast not so long ago, is. Let's talk about warehousing for a second. We saw this real growth and need for e-commerce fulfillment. If you were said, I don't want to take VC money, I'm just going to grow steadily and I'm going to buy a few warehouses, that's much different than people who said, I'm going to take investment from VCs and we're going to grow quick and we're going to have a footprint that is nationwide in 18 months. Yeah, and, but and, and would that build it in such a way that it's technology leveraged right. and it, 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 because of that generates certain attributes yeah. of defensibility that you otherwise wouldn't have. Right. But you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there's you miss, one you path can miss that, the market if you're going too slow. Yeah. There, the, 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 there's one path I can do. I could do it slowly. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. It comes to risk and, and ambition. And then there's this other path that is much fast growth, but it's equally comes with risk. Right. And, what our job is to be good partners where we can bring you from this pre-seed seed stage to what we call product market fit. And so around series A, this is where a company demonstrates a repeatability and a scalability of their product delivery, of their acquisition. And somebody looks in, a VC looks in and says, okay, if I can give you this much more capital, you can then grow at this exponential rate. And then after that, you know, 18 months later, the next set's going to come in and say, okay, if I give you double what the last guy or gal gave you, you're going to grow at an even more of an exponential rate. You start to remove blockers. And we come at the earliest stage. And, and frankly, all of us would tell you, people ask us, oh, why don't you go later? You have a background, you have a pedigree. And it's not fun. Like what's actually fun is like the formative stages where you're building the trust, right? You're, you're making... Uh, a, a bet or supporting somebody's dream and vision and to watch them realize that and you playing some small role in that there's like nothing more fulfilling it's not the money it's not any of that it's it's that human element but i would say am i right to say pre-seed or seed is riskier but also greater rewards and i would also you tell me it would seem you have greater impact on you know on on the venture because you're kind of part of the dna yeah, absolutely. It, it is it is absolutely greater risk, greater reward on, on a financial or mathematical basis. And you're absolutely right about impact, right? Like, for example, our, our Fridays, my partner John and I wake up and we just spend all day from the moment we wake up till when we shut off back to back with our most recent investments. And we're, we're going through, you know, tactical things. We're talking through problems that founders are trying to solve in real time because they're critical to their business, but also what that creates is this mutual respect and trust. And we funded a, a, a business, gosh, 2018, and they're growing extraordinarily well. And in this really difficult period in raising VC, they've raised a growth round, a hundred plus million dollar size of investment. And he called on us to kind of walk through Hey, you know, I trust you guys. You always have what's best for the company and the team in mind. How should we think through this? What are the different things we need to push and pull? This is how we thought through it. Lo and behold, because in that case, we were fortunate enough to back the right people. He was on top of it. He like like anything we we asked him he goes, oh yeah, and that's over here. Oh yeah, and we thought about that here. Here's the analysis. So 
it's just really great to, to to have that camaraderie partnership to your project. Right. Yep. And I think we kind of started to talk about this in the beginning, but I want to make sure we hammer this home. You guys stay in supply chain and logistics, correct? And, tech, and the, especially on the technology end, which is which is different than other VCs. Am I correct? Yeah. You know, we're we're one of maybe four, depending on how you slice and dice it. VCs focused on supply chain. There are some other industry-oriented funds, uh, mostly in fintech. But by and large, most VCs are generalists, right? They they might have a partner that, oh, you know, Rachel, she goes and she does our the unsexy stuff. Or, oh, we just hired, you know, John and John, you know, he's going to be mandated with looking at your sector. That's very different than all we live and breathe as a firm, as a group, is this industry. So, for us, like the way we perceive and churn through problems, our networks, the way we approach introducing great talent is, is very different because we only do this. And for some people, they go, don't you get bored? It's like, well, this is, I mean, last we looked about 10% of global GDP. It's pretty hard to get bored. It's funny that you should say that. So I've done, did a lot of sales and digital marketing stuff prior to the podcast and I did also consulted large shippers on selecting 3PLs, managing 3PLs, getting the most from their 3PL. And I remember somebody said, well, you could do this for B2B. I go, I was always the logistics of logistics. I said, why? Because logistics isn't big enough? <laughs> like, well, I mean, wh- why expand? It's, it's, this is a massive space. And I think you guys are a little even wider than logistics because you also, you say supply chain. Those are the people who are making this stuff, right? And, you know, when you really look at it, supply chain is much higher spend than, than logistics. And I think it's probably 95% of spend is supply chains and 5% are su- the supply chain companies. That'd be the Ford, the Procter and Gamble's, those kind of companies. And then logistics is the 5%, I think. And, but there's huge opportunities all throughout. I come from automotive. When I was, when I was probably in my 30s, somebody said to me, a recruiter, they called me and they said that this company really needs somebody like you who can come in and straighten out their supply chain. And I was like, supply chain. I didn't say it, but I kept writing supply chain down, circling it like, what does this even mean? I had to call another friend of mine and say, I just got off the phone. And somebody kept saying that I'm a supply chain guy and they really needed me. And he goes, yeah, it's like, you know, logistics, purchasing, managing suppliers. And I was like, well, they're suppliers. I get suppliers. I work with suppliers. <laughs> you know, And it was a funny thing because, again, it wasn't here. It was, now it now it's feels like the most important industry in the world for the last few years. Yeah. I mean, COVID, you know, kind of going back to origin story, right? Like when we started based in Chattanooga, having a very like West Coast style way of venture investing. And traditionally what you've seen out of the Midwest, Southeast are usually family offices, PE that are much more conservative, trying to dabble in VC. And that's where you tend to hear the horror stories from a founder and then that investment didn't work out and blah, blah, blah. But we kind of approached it in, in a very call it kind of pure way or or, or West Coast way. But then when people go, okay, so you're in Chattanooga and you're doing what? Supply chain? Like, and you know what? Like COVID, COVID was terrible for a number of reasons, right? Had a lot of negative impact. But the one thing it has done positively is bring kind of the supply chain to the forefront. Did you ever think like over Thanksgiving dinner, like your family and you would be, you know, 
thrown back and forth with container rates on the Trans-Pacific bar? Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> or, hey, what's port congestion look like? Or, oh, man, truckload, like, what's happening in the spot market? No, but, like, it, it, it now it kind of holds the, the, the mantle and the relationship with the everyday citizen that fintech does, right? Opening checking accounts, right. finding that low-cost, you know, homeowner's insurance. There's a very similar innovation and evolution happening today as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. And by the way, I've said it a few times on my podcast. I will continue to say it. I think 50% of all supply chain operations happen right now in China. That is not going to be the future. We're, they are not the low cost provider in virtually anything, but what they are is right now is where your stuff is. So it's not always easy to say we're going to move that home, but we are going to be changed. You know, the, the geopolitical, political uh, aspect is what we build our supply chains on top of. And we assume yep. Europe is going to stay Europe and Asia is going to stay Asia. Well, now we've learned uh, there's a war in Europe, unfortunately, and things are changing in China. They, they have a demographic problem that isn't going away. They have financial problems that aren't going away. We're going to bring a lot of that stuff home. I think we bring it home anyway for sustainability reasons. But I think what you're going to see over the next generation is we're going to start doing more business in South America, Mexico, maybe Canada. I like to think all through all of those. And and so there's so even though it seems as if we've and, and this is always the way we think. Oh, I've got my new phone. Oh my god, it's so high tech. Look, it does all these things. 5 years from now, you look at your phone and go, "Oh my god, I found this old phone in my drawer and I can't believe that it doesn't have blank blank and blank, right? It was it's a dinosaur. Same thing with our supply chains. And by the way, I'll throw this out there. I'm from automotive, the biggest, baddest supply chain on earth. When I started working, we didn't do business in the 80s with China. We didn't do business with Mexico very much. The supply chains for automotive were in the Midwest. So I need a trucking company that could help me get my stuff to Detroit or to Ohio or wherever we're making cars. Now look at today, 40 years later, what it looks like. We're going to see that same change. And I think that so we, we, we're going to need that technology. We're going to need the innovators and we're going to need the VCs like Dynamo. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting you mentioned that. My colleague Clay just actually finished a, a deep dive into what we're calling regionalization. And it's not to say that globalization will go away, but we certainly see a complement through near shoring, onshoring, friend shoring, right? You, you, you find friendly alliances that you feel comfortable having supplier bases in or even primary manufacturing, assembly, distribution in. But a lot of that, to to your statement uh, just a couple moments ago, Joe, is around sovereignty. And there are key industries that we believe you will see come back sooner than others. And partly because cost is less of the issue, right? Semiconductors, healthcare, healthcare consumables, but equally kind of pharma, biotech. And then on the back of that, you'll have those items that there's more of a cost sensitivity. There's some elasticity there, but that's where you might say Canada or Mexico or, hey, we have friendly relations in, in such and such country that, you know, it, it, it's okay. We're able to ascertain what the risk is, cope with it better than we we have in, in Southeast Asia, China. So yeah, by the all way, this my, is coming. One of my daughters uh, works at a healthcare at a vaccine company and biotech and she's in purchasing. And so she said during COVID, she said, you just typically don't know where your stuff's being made. Well, we, she goes, after a while you learn 
where your distributors are making. She goes, our stuff is made in Wuhan, PPE, PPE made in Wuhan. And I think a lot of us, and I'm not trying to be critical of the government, but I will anyway. Didn't you kind of think, oh, well, don't worry. The government's got all this, you know, a strategic approach to PPE and vaccines and all that. And I'm sure to some extent they have, but I think after the COVID you go, wow, that is the risk of having your stuff that you truly need like ventilators. For a minute, we thought we needed ventilators and we couldn't get them. We wanted yeah. we wanted PPEs, we couldn't get them. You look at the most advanced country in the world, <laughs> can't get some some cloth masks made here. And by the way, the same with like t-shirts. If somebody said, hey, Santosh, I need you to get some American-made t-shirts, you'd be like, <laughs> I know it's not it's super hard tech, but I don't have any. Yeah, yeah, I... I have a buddy who who, who runs a uh, apparel business and he's been going down very strategically to a lot of these historical textile towns. And some of them are starting to come back online, right? After decades of being off service and they're starting to get volume. And he, like, I remember he, he told me this six years ago and then last year he kind of gave me an update on it. And he's like, just like it's day and night now. And yes. they're going to be like communities and sustainable businesses that are built off of this. And he goes also like, it's not going to be traded as much of a premium because there's supply coming back in order to make this stuff. I can tell you this. I would, being an automotive guy, I did a value stream mapping. I was a facilitator. So you're going order to cash and seeing what steps can be taken out, what steps can be eliminated, what steps can be made faster. And when you're doing that, you're categorizing things and you're saying no value added, circling it. Logistics doesn't add value. And what I mean by that is you will not pay extra because your mobile phone was made in China. And when it comes to certain things, like let's just say food, I will pay because it's local. I will pay extra because it didn't get a long logistics trail. And we now know Americans will buy American stuff for cheaper. I mean, for a little more expensive. They're willing to pay that extra price. So I think there there's a premium on in some cases, but anyway, I want to switch gears with you. So you normally, if I was talking to a VC, I'd say let's talk about your some of your thesis, and you would say we have investments in this area and the investments in that area. But I can't ask that for, from you because you guys really are just early on in the seed and pre seed. So can you talk a little bit about some of your successes? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I will jump into our successes, but you know, that's not to say we don't sit here and kind of think about the world that we invest in, right? But kind of to to that point, for example, we, we invested earlier this year in a company called LogRock. I think we developed that thesis. Wait, you, what was the name of that company? LogRock, L-O-G-R-O-C-K. Is that with, was that with Hunter? Hunter, y'all. Yeah, he's going to be on the podcast coming up. And developed that maybe five years ago, the, the, the early framework around kind of the intersection of insurance and supply chain, but had to sit on it, right? The right people weren't walking through the door, the right approach we never ran into. And then when we ran into Hunter, we go, we think this team might have it. <laughs> and that's, that's some of the magic here, but, you know, kind of looking at some of our, our success, right? For, for folks listening, venture funds are, are very long tailed risk. So our funds are 10 years at minimum. The best oh, companies these yeah. days take about, I think the data suggests like 13 to 14 years from first investment to some point of liquidity. Right? That's a really long time. And 
kind of looking at it's like, oh, I could deal with that. It's like, well, we're nearing kind of in the thick of it, right? And you go through a pandemic and you're then in a softening macro environment. It, it can feel quite like a long time. Well, that's but- why you guys got to get a night. I mean, I, I think people would go, well, yeah, VCs want a lot of money. Well, when you got to wait, thir- well, first off, you're putting your heart and soul into those businesses, just like the founders. And then you're waiting a decade or more to get your payback. <laughs> I don't blame there's you. There's a premium, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, blame you a, for wanting a few bucks. <laughs> I mean, kind of thinking back to my courses at, at Penn State, right? Like professor would say, oh, you have like an illiquidity or a risk premium in right. it for, for holding it that long. But, you know, have been have been fortunate. And, and we'll tell you, you know, founders do all the hard work. That's the magic. But I, uh, I think you had the, the folks from Stored On earlier. Oh, yeah. Stored based in, in Atlanta kind of retail rethinking how we think about warehousing fulfillment. Sean and Jacob, you know, we met when they were 17, 18 years old and they've been able to grow a business unlike any other. They bring kind of the maturity and and the wiseness, you know, beyond their years. And that's been just an, an absolute kind of pleasure to watch them build. If I could so if I before you leave that, I think this is still very interesting if people haven't paid attention to this model. And I'll say what I think it is, and then you can correct me as I go astray. People need same day, next day on fulfillment. And so one way to go about that is say like what Lineage has done, which is say, I'll just buy locations everywhere on earth. Um, Very expensive, not easy, right? What's stored, and I know they're not the only people who've done it, but they're one of the more successful people who's done it. say, we're going to go vet a whole bunch of top warehouses around the country. We're going to get them to use our software. And we're going to have, in from a from a customer perspective, your shipper, it's like one system no matter what warehouse I'm at, and it's it's kind of a consolidation play, without actually buying equipment. So it's using technology. And by the way, kind of freight brokers kind of do the same thing, where you say, I don't have my own trucks, but I do have a network of yeah five thousand trucking companies that I know and trust very much. I think it's brilliant. And I love with them. And, and obviously the market thinks so too. <laughs> and, 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 and through COVID, right, as, as customers came forth and said, hey, we need more e-com type fulfillment, which is generally high volume, high throughput. You need the control. What you've seen store do is kind of get into that first party asset segment. But that's what we call being asset right. It's not, you know, you don't need to be heavy asset or asset light. Like there are these words, but what is the right mix in order to continue to deliver your customers that value, right? That, that satisfaction. And that's where kind of using, to your point, using software to aggregate the long tail of warehousing capacity. This is very good in palletized bulk freight, but then why can you not then push strategically into your eco into your fulfillment network, right? And deliver on that same day, next day promise more consistently at a lower cost. And by the way, this is all wrapped in software. So there's no longer the, I buy my warehousing software and then I have my services budget. This exists for this to work better. It should actually happen in, in tandem. And that's really the unique thing here at play. And by the way, if we go back just 10 years ago, if somebody said, I need a warehouse, say, well, if you go to Indiana, you can be within one day transportation of 65% of the US market and two day 80% of the market, whatever it is, right? And that was it. And by the way, right now, I think more than 50% of warehousing companies have one location. 
Well, how does that help me if I'm an e-commerce company that needs to do same day, next day? It doesn't. That's why you need someone like a stored. Yep. And by the way, if I'm an, a, if I'm a tech, I'm a direct to consumer company, I'm assuming I'm pretty good tech. I'm probably using Shopify or something like that. And do I want to connect with an old fashioned tech company? I mean, an old fashioned warehousing company. A lot of them have WMS now. I'm not trying to be critical of the whole market, but not all of them. If you're a warehousing company, they would you not might be not have or it. interoperable. Yeah. You want the you want the same experience. You want the you want the uh, you want it to move. So anyway, I know I'm going to lose you in a, seven minutes. So I want to get another success story, and then before you go, I still want to understand who's your sweet spot. Who do you invest in? So give me another success story. So there's another company actually based in Germany. So kind of going to the fact that we are you international are international sender and. Sender is the de facto digital freight brokerage in Europe, and they they would call how do you spell how do you spell that? S e n n d e r, and you can think of them as as an analog to Convoy here in the states. But the the interesting thing about Sender is Sender walked into a market that not only had capacity in transparency, right? Similar to the U.S., highly fragmented, long tail owner operators. But you also have culture, geographic language differences across the entire EU block. Not to mention, we call it EU here. Every country has different regulation around transport there. So that adds even more of a burden. But people would triple, quadruple broker because of this fragmentation. And that would ultimately bloat your freight bill on the other side. And so Sender came and said, listen, like we can build interesting digital tooling in order to remove kind of this multiple brokerage right. and reduce the cost of logistics, but again, deliver to you a workflow that's digital. And even drivers who we, you know, might generally think, oh, they don't want to hang out in technology. They'll think they're being tracked. They love it because what they view Sender as is the partner they've been look, looking for the whole time, right? You give me very clear jobs. You give me the right delivery instructions. You follow up with shippers on my behalf if there are any issues. And you make sure I get paid in full on time, right? So they have this amazing network. But again, Joe, to your point, using software to aggregate the long tail of capacity and then showing that as one block to some of the largest shippers in the world, right? Coca-Cola, BW, Zalando, are some of the folks that you send her for their freight needs today. That's excellent. That's excellent. So I know we got five more minutes here. So Santosh, I know you guys are seed and pre-seed, which you explained earlier. And so that's means you guys have a higher impact. You're more going to get be a little closer to the guys than maybe series, series C, right? And I think you guys are a Maybe I'm going to overstep here, but almost mentors to those kind of investor, or those kind of uh, startups. You can make the right introductions. So, tell us a little bit about who you're looking for. Who do you want to invest in? Yeah. So we we said before teams, right? It's not to say if you're a solo founder, that's not of interest to us. But teams definitely bring bring some advantages, and, and we recognize those advantages and. With that, being able to have complementary skill sets of your solo founder, your 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 self-awareness, which is the second key thing, and your ability to attract compliments around you, right? With that, you're generally able to engage the audience. Uh, it's important, we think, for 
the early leaders, really any leader, to be able to engage. So perceive the room, understand how they need to engage the room, and go about doing it to ultimately generate results. That they have some type of unique aha or advantage insight. And when I say this, some people go, oh, like you just want industry expertise to go, actually all of the companies have done really well in our portfolio. They're not folks that are like, you know, coming from industry with 20, 30 years of experience. They're actually folks who've been exposed and kind of, this doesn't make sense. Why is it working that way? And they get obsessed by it and they go away and they want to solve it. And we call that obsession, fast muscle twitch. Like you just cannot not move in the direction of solving right. that problem. Yeah, you, you you mentioned obsession. I keep thinking about some guys, and, and again, they're wildly successful, like the Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, take the money away and they'd still work on those same problems. I mean, it wasn't as if they were at some point after you're a billionaire and they go, all I care about is world domination. They're just giving that money away at some point anyway. They are intellectually curious and obsessed with technology and whatever their vision is. It is important to us, and and because we come in so early, we'll oftentimes get pitches from folks who, hey, if you give me a million dollars, I'll quit my job and work on this. No, right? Like, <laughs> if, if you cannot bet on yourself, why should I bet on you? And the fact of the matter is, like, you don't do startups to get rich. Like, it just, there's much easier ways, right? And it's not VC either. There's a lot of easier ways to get wealthier, faster than VC, but there's just something very fulfilling to your point, being a founder, solving that problem, making an impact. And in my position personally, like being somebody who can support those types of individuals, right? And equally in, in the process, building a firm that kind of is, is reputable in that. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, the, the, the role we play is not telling our founders what to do. You'll never hear anybody telling our founders at Dynamo what to do. It's coaching them to that point, asking questions, pulling on a thread, and they're able to then say, okay, this is everything in front of me. Can I systematically go through and make the best decision? And having a third party like that is is very valuable because when you're in the thick of it, you oftentimes can't look up and say, oh, okay, here's the big picture. It's just very hard to context switch in that manner. I think I mispronounced it. It's Santosh, right? Santosh. I kept, yeah, Santosh. Like Tosh. Oh, don't worry about it. Anyway, <laughs> Tosh.0. Remember that, guys, if you call, because you'll be asking him for money. <laughs> He's going to ask you to pronounce his name right. So anyway, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, I'll put a link to Dynamo. And uh, what conferences will you guys be at coming up here? I know we have FreightWaves has got a conference coming up here very quickly in Chattanooga. I know you'll be at that one. We'll be at that one. I'll actually next week be up in Chicago at the Inland Distribution Conference. And... That might be it, actually, for the balance of this year. We we have some other more startup-oriented conferences. But next year, I know, I think top of my list is uh, the Manifest Conference. I will be there. We've just talked, I've talked quite a bit about Manifest because um, I've had them on. Last year, everyone's right raved about it, said it was one of their favorite t- conferences. So it yeah, was, that's, that, it was that's in January yeah. in Vegas. So you were there. End of January. Yeah, if, if, if I remember right. And, and if I've if I've misset the date, apologies to the team there, but they're, they're, no, they it put is on Jan- something that's it's amazing. January. I, uh, it was the first one, and I have I always ask people what conferences they're going to, and people kept saying Manifest, Manifest, and I was like, what the hell is that? I wrote it down. And then afterwards, my friend Blythe Broomleaf was posting about a picture of like, being at the Puppy Lounge, and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? So then I, did, I reached out to 
uh, manifest and people really do seem to like that one. Of course, the Freightways fellas do great too. You're never going to go wrong there, especially when you probably can walk to it like you. <laughs> I can walk to it. Our, our office is two blocks from, from Craig's office and, you know, within proximity to, to all the venues. So for, for folks wondering, definitely come down. Uh, it's also beautiful time of year here in uh, Chattanooga. So you can equally take in the scene. Yes. What I'll do is I'll also put a link to the Craig Fuller episode and a link to my interview with uh, Sean from Stored. He's one of the founders over there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate being on. Cheers. Yes. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.